Hello, everyone, and welcome to a live edition of the ACB Advocacy Update. I am one of your hosts, Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for the American Council of the Blind. And I'm joined by my co-hosts. Hi, guys. I'm Swatha. I am your Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for ACB. And this is, as always, our Advocacy Update podcast, which will air with audio on ACB radio, as well as the Advocacy Update feed, where you uh, download and listen and share all of our podcasts via your favorite podcast player. But in addition, we are coming to you live over video, no less. Yes, ACB and video. And we are streaming over Facebook and YouTube and also on the live event channel of ACB Radio. And Swatha, we are continuing our programming leading up to the ACB conference and convention. You can always find out more, including how to register at acbconvention.org. Last week, we talked about the audio description track of programming. And Swatha, what do we have in store today? Yeah, this week we are talking about transportation, track. Um, so today we have um, um, on our guest list is Becky Davidson, who is the chair of the Environmental Access Committee, and Sheila Styron, chair of the Committee. So, hello guys, how's it, how's it going? Hey there. That's right. So our, happy to be here. our stalwarts for uh, transportation and environmental access advocacy. Uh, Becky and Sheila, you've both done so much to plan the, the convention track for transportation at this year's conference and convention. But I'd, before we jump into that, I don't think we can talk about this year's convention without talking about the work that you all did along with Ron Brooks and Chris Bell and others for last year's conference in convention, the first virtual conference in convention, but there was another first, and that was the transportation track of programming to mobility and beyond. Sheila, what can you share with us about last year that has influenced the planning for this year's convention? Well, I will tell you, Clark, it's so great to be here. And last year, was such an incredibly full program. Uh, we, we covered all aspects of transportation from regular transportation to air travel to upcoming changes. We had guests from all walks of the transportation, including autonomous vehicles and we had such a good showing last year with such a wide variety of guests that the thing that's on my mind right now is hopefully we can make it, how can we make it as good this year? So hopefully we've got a great lineup for you this year as well. And uh, we really encourage people to stay in touch with us and reach out and let us know what it is you want to hear about because We've talked about rural, we talk about um, urban ideas, anything that people face. And we do have people covering just such a broad range of walks of life in ACB. 
And Becky, since last year's convention, the transportation and environmental access committees have continued to do community events to kind of keep those good times rolling. What can you share with us about the, the community events that EAC and transportation have done over since last year's convention? Well, that's right, Clark, and I'm glad to be with you all too. Um, we decided to carry the two mobility and beyond theme through the community calls. Um, and we address such things as complete streets, um, different aspects of autonomous vehicles, uh, paratransit. We tried to also create a, a, an open forum where people could talk about the issues they're facing in their own areas. Um, and we found that to be uh, a successful way to, to get people to sort of stay connected on these issues. Uh, the two mobility and beyond really is a is kind of a great tagline um, for what we continue to to do and plan to keep doing. Yeah, is is that trademarked by the way? So I don't think so. We've, we've got to get on that, right? Yeah, I think Ron take off on a couple of other things. Yeah, I don't remember who came up with that. I think it was Ron, but I I'm not Ron. positive. Okay, there yeah. you go. All right, Swatha, shall, shall we jump into this year's convention programming? Yes, let's go. Um, so this year, you guys have lots of events going on, lots of um, speakers and stuff and other things. So um, yeah, tell us more Tell us more about that. Tell us more about what to expect, what to, what to expect, what to expect this year. Well, the I, mobility and beyond kind of forum uh, aspect seemed to be pretty successful and it gave us an opportunity to do a lot of, of different presentations. So we have five sessions scheduled for this year, Sunday, July 18th in the afternoon through uh, Tuesday afternoon, July 20th. And our focus is primarily on pedestrian issues. Sham, and she is, I heard her speak at a conference last fall, and she will just really have people on the edges of their chairs with all of her information about how just small things like slowing down traffic in a city, five miles an hour can really decrease traffic crashes and pedestrian fatalities. Um, for instance, New York City became a Vision Zero um, participant in 2014. And within five years, they had cut their traffic fatality rate by 26% just by slowing things down from 25 to 20 miles an hour on main arteries. Um, speed makes a huge difference. If, if a car is going 40 miles an hour and hits a pedestrian, the chances are that 95% that, that it will be fatal. And if a car is only going 20 miles an hour, the odds are completely reversed. They will survive 95% of the time. So this is something we're really excited to get people interested in taking home to their communities to work on getting vision zero uh, I don't know what's the word, vision zero adopted in their local towns and communities and cities. And Sheila, how does vision zero 
So you've talked about pedestrians in relation to motorized vehicles, uh, but we're not the only ones on, on the roads and the sidewalks, right? Do, does Vision Zero account for other modes of, of travel and transportation like micromobility and bikes and scooters and things like that as well? Well, absolutely it does. And it isn't just speed. It's, it's the configurations of intersections, it's signage. It is everything to do with making uh, speed and vehicular traffic uh, proceed in a way that is safer for everyone who shares the roads. I don't think we are doing any presentations specifically on complete streets, but Vision Zero is obviously an important component in the whole idea of complete streets, which means creating an environment of sidewalks and streets and access and egress and signage and speeds so that everything works better for everybody, including pedestrians, bicyclists, mothers pushing strollers, uh, vehicles that will be less likely to just crash into each other. And I'm sure Leah will explain it way better than I just did. Well, I, I'm sure that that will be a, a great <laughs> session. So what, what's coming up next at the convention for mobility and beyond? The, 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 uh, the Lee Sham session is Sunday afternoon. That's our keynote presentation. And then Monday at four o'clock, we have to cross or not to cross. Um, and this is a presentation by a longtime O&M instructor and researcher talking about what to do when you come up upon a street where there is no signalization, no traffic light, no no cross uh, stop sign, anything like that. So um, that's what she's going to be talking about. She's done a lot of research on the sounds and how how long you might have from when you actually hear the car coming to to get yourself across the street safely. Because of course, as blind pedestrians, we listen and that's what we need to do. Crossing a non-signalized street, it can be um, difficult and often many of us choose to avoid doing it if we can. Um, because unless the street is not a particularly busy street or you know the street's not busy except maybe at rush hour, um, you know, you really have to think about the sounds and when it is, you know, that you hear that car and, okay, do I have time or don't I? And there are so many variables. And Donna's just, Donna's just done an incredible amount of research on this topic and she does a fabulous presentation. I think it's especially effective for people who live in suburban or rural areas where there are lots of places to cross that are not signalized. And then following that presentation, I think these two, Becky placed them in a, in a good order. Um, she did really the lion's share of planning this year's program. Um, I'll be hosting a panel um, for people who are pedestrians who actually do mm -hmm. get out there and ride public transportation and cross streets. It's called Out and About with Canines and Canes. And I did not make up the topic for this convention as this is something I do here in Kansas City where uh, I work with a lot of people who are blind and low vision 
in my employment here at The Whole Person, which is a center for independent living. And how this evolved is I would get calls from people and of course they would already need to have their basic cane travel skills and have been trained with their guide dogs, but people who thought they wanted to get out and learn more routes and travel more independently, get outside of a, of a vehicle. We're, we, our community is so dependent on ride share and, um, and paratransit services at this point in time that there are many people who sometimes they think about getting out, but they're so kind of out of the practice that I even have people tell me they're fearful. So um, I've designed this panel and talked about it with our committees and we thought it would be a really good idea to invite some regular ACB people, um, some of them older, some of them younger, some who travel with guide dogs, some with canes, some with some vision, some with no vision, and have them share their travel experiences inspirational stories, funny stories, basically um, to show people, to inspire people to get out and get moving as uh, Tony Stevens' new program um, for which I'm, I'm on the committee and very excited about, about this new ACB initiative. And we, wanna, we want to encourage people for it's fun, it's confidence building, it will um, lead to better health, because, you know, we, we have a lot of people who do have health issues and are overweight um, in our population. So we're hoping that this will be a panel that will be a little bit fun and a lot inspiring. Maybe there's some people who, if they hear about the adventures, some others will want to get out there and travel a little more independently. Well, and we certainly have the the virtual ACB walk this year. Usually it's in person, but much like everything else, it's still virtual this year. Um, and I want to go back to the, the previous panel that Becky was outlining, uh, talking about what to do when there are no signs or signals at the intersections, because that, that can be a huge barrier to getting up and getting moving. And Swatha, you're there outside of Chicago in Illinois. I mean, what do you do when you encounter uh, an intersection that doesn't have signs or uh, accessible pedestrian signals. See, I've always just avoided um, crossing those kinds of roads that don't have any signalized crossing and don't have stop stop signs. Just because, like, I don't feel like it's, it's scary. It's, it's scary sometimes to cross and not to know and not know when the like, car is coming or. Or no, like how when you if 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 you're not across, um, so I just avoid, avoid those and go around and um. So I really I'm really just interested in the panel um or in that session talking about what to do when crossing because I wasn't aware of the techniques or of the um kind of ways you can go back, go around that. So that's so cool. That yeah, it's a it's a difficult situation and. I, um, I believe that, you know, talking about how in paratransit and all of that, that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that some of that is, is because our pedestrian ways are not necessarily fully accessible, whether it's mm -hmm. lack of sidewalks or a lack of, 
accessible signals or all of those kinds of things. And I believe that Donna has made um, her some of her techniques available online in teaching tools and modules that you could actually access as an individual Swatha. So you might um, want to get with Becky on that. And, you know, if this is something that's of serious interest to you, I believe that it's available for people to kind of do some learning on their own with the tools she's created. This is great. I'll check different, I'll different check it out. I, I think I'll have to as well. I, I'm <laughs> we certainly guilty of we avoiding. Yeah. You know, if I get to a big intersection and I, I don't understand it, I can't figure it out. Um, Go around. Especially if there's somewhere that I need to be, I, I want to get there in one piece. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And part of O&M training and, and guide dog training too is, you know, allowing yourself enough time if you have to, to be able to, to study that intersection and listen to it and go through a, a few cycles. Um, but that doesn't work real well when there's no signalization. Uh, it's gotten so much more complicated than it used to be. I'm, I'm afraid that I guess I'm a person who doesn't have a ton of patience and I'm guilty of probably doing things unsafely more than I should because I'm out there walking and taking buses and I want to get there and nothing bad has happened yet. <laughs> and I mean, I, you know, and I do know that I, I cannot, um, probably cannot really tell you exactly how, so I, how these intersections work, some of them that I have used and uh, more power to you if you can stand there long enough to figure them out because I think they're actually unfathomable. So. I end up crossing when it sounds like I can cross and when my guide dog says I can cross and I would never do it without a guide dog, just a personal preferences, but that's me. And before we jump topics, Becky, you talked about the, the time it takes to, to analyze an intersection. Um, you know, even if there are signals, there could be technologies that are being deployed that result in cane users, guide dog users, people who have vision loss, losing out on valuable seconds uh, when trying to cross intersections. Yeah, the most recent uh, development is something called the leading um, is an additional few seconds at the beginning of a cycle that allows pedestrians to kind of get a jump start. But for the most part, we don't know when that leading pedestrian interval has come on because they, even if there's an accessible pedestrian signal at that intersection, that that part of it has still not been updated to be accessible and give you the information. And that's certainly something that ACB and your two committees have been uh, leading advocacy voices on, including the comments that ACB just filed with the Federal Highway Administration, that Chris Bell and your committees took the lead on drafting. So thank you all so much for your expertise and your advocacy on, on that issue to provide ACB's comments to the Manual on Uniform Traffic Control Devices, or MUTCD. I almost got it out. <laughs> 
Yeah. And Sheila, I know you personally provided individual comments as well, and that your committees worked with America Walks to inform the information that they were sharing with their broad membership. Yes, we we did. We found we had to educate them a little bit, and it was um, uh, a really good collaboration because they improved their comments, and we worked off their comments. And um, AER also, uh, including Donna Sauerberger, who Becky was just discussing, um, they also provided comments. And um, I try to comment on a lot of things, but not necessarily with the depth and the expertise that some others are able to um, bring to the project. But I took from all of the other fine organizations comments and did some short succinct comments of my own. And I would really like to encourage everyone to, you don't really have to be an expert to participate in these processes. You can be a regular person and take the lead from others who maybe know more. And just at least, even if you just do a few sentences, you've done a really good thing. You've made a contribution. You've you've advanced the advocacy process and it's, it's a great thing. And yeah. we do have a lot of work to be done on all of these things because as we're talking about analyzing all these intersections, I it also comes to mind that I've been out walking with sighted pedestrians who look at intersections and they don't even quite know what they're supposed to do sometimes. They go, well, I'm not sure what that little sign means or, you know, uh, not sure if the little man is walking yet or if, if the way he's walking means they're supposed to walk. It, there are so many different configurations around the country and we really haven't um, standardized everything to the point where you know, we changed some street lights here in Kansas City a while ago to be these sort of blinking stop signs. And I was in a vehicle with more than one individual who was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, people don't know how to yield. They don't know how long to wait. On and on. I just would like to add uh, about the comments. I, I did something similar and submitted personal comments. And then I shared what I had written with several email lists that I'm on and told people, you know, you're, you can write a legal document if you want, but what you really want to do as a personal comment is write a couple of paragraphs that are very personal to your experience and let them know this is what's happening out there. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't need to be the the technocrat technical expert, but you are the expert on you and sharing those personal experiences. Personal experiences go a long way to helping ACB with our advocacy and informing public policy. Yeah, definitely. So Sheila, you touched on an item, uh, little blinking lights and other things at the corner. That's kind of relevant to a, another session that you guys have going on at the convention this year. That's right. We are doing, it's called What's New at the Corner. And we will have a representative from Polara Enterprises, who's a manufacturer of the majority, although not all of the accessible pedestrian signals that are out there, talking about what the newest signals are and what they involve, how accessible they are, and then joining him will be Lucas Frank, who is well known, uh, not just in the guide dog community, but in this whole O&M and intersection community. 
talking about how accessible they really are and, and what they actually mean to us as, as blind and visually impaired pedestrians. It'll be an entertaining session too, because Lucas is always entertaining. <laughs> All right. And it's not necessarily part of the mobility and beyond track, but something else I saw on the convention programming jumped out to me. I know that last year during the pandemic, Microsoft had a session where they were featuring uh, their smartphone app Soundscape that provides audible maps for your surroundings. And they were joined by uh, at least one orientation and mobility instructor sharing how they've used soundscape for virtual and providing virtual you know in remote O&M services during the pandemic and i see that there's a somewhat similar our information access committee has a session as part of their 411 on remote rehabilitation services so sheila i'll start with you uh, any thoughts on how technology is being used to provide O&M services or enhance O&M services. Y yes, and it's a, it's a really good idea. I've also heard that people are using radio systems and walkie-talkie so they don't have to be, you know, in such close physical proximity. And it's a really good O&M training technique to be able to identify sound directionally. So soundscape is very good for that. It is a three-dimensional sound system when you put on a pair of headphones that that have that capability. Um, and it says something is coming up at 10 o'clock. You really do hear it, the voice, and maybe a sound, depending on how you have it set up toward your left temple, you know, so over on the left and up toward the front of the event. Um, there are people who get out and have um, competitions, um, uh, scavenger hunts with um, this, with soundscape, with clues and, if, you know, getting warmer, getting warmer. Well, that means getting louder and following and getting closer to the direction of the sound. There have been, I remember in the early, earlier days of, um, of accessible pedestrian signals, um, probably most people are aware that these poles make a constant locator tone. It might be to beep, it might be a click, depending on, on the age of the technology. And that is just simply to show the person where the device is. It has nothing to do with telling you when it's your turn to cross the street, but it it is, very similar to um, another feature in Soundscape um, called beacons that you can set up. And the beacon is a locator tone that the sound of which adjusts depending on where you are in its proximity and whether you're getting hotter or colder. And so it, it definitely tends to turn our ears into eyes um, in that we really get a lot of information from a sound that would take a whole bunch of words to kind of duplicate what that sound can immediately broadcast to our brains through our ears. I would just like to um, switch it up a little bit. I, for, unfortunately, I have not had any experience with soundscape, but I have had oh, a fun. lot of discussions. Yeah, I, I'm going to. Um, <laughs> but 
I, well, there's been, I know with the guide dog schools, especially, they've been using technology to do assessment of people's uh, O&M skills um, and also to problem solve, keep physical distance when it when it's required from people. Um, but the te technology, I mean, I remember before I retired, um, they were using Google Earth and somebody would call and say, I have a problem with this intersection and the instructor could get on the computer and, and find the intersection and say, well, yeah, here's what you, here's what's there and here's how it's how it's working. So um, the, the capability of taking video of, um, of doing that kind of an assessment with someone um, is really helpful in determining what to do next. So it, what I'm hearing is it sounds like it that technology can be a, a great tool to enhance the O&M training, the orientation and mobility. Um, Absolutely. Do you, see, do you see technology replacing the cane or the guide dog anytime soon? I don't think so. I, I think there certainly is potential. Um, for that and and you know who can say even years from now what the answer to that question will be because things develop so fast but um you know i i don't see that happening and i don't see it replacing the live o m instructor or or you know guide dog instructor either but it certainly enhances what we can do Absolutely. I'm completely with Becky on that. I can't imagine the guide dog or the cane going away any time soon because they are so dependable in so many ways. And I, not necessarily that I want to discuss it in detail, but haptics are also a very valuable tool in the toolbox of tools that can assist us with um getting and processing information in terms of proximity to devices and um, locations when we're traveling. Yeah, and speaking of canes and guide dogs, um, Swatha, any other questions related to mobility and transportation panels or events at this year's convention? Oh yeah, so I have, I'm not a guide dog user and I'm just Clark, but um, tell us more about the guide dog panel, the guide dog events, the events with the guide dogs um, this year. I have not uh, seen the GDUI guide dog users Inc schedule, but the guide dog issues have been on our radar, both mm -hmm. because Sheila and I are both involved with uh, advocacy with around guide dogs, um, but also because there has been some development in so um, those discussions have certainly been been happening uh, pretty much across the board, um, both within GDUI and their advocacy committee on which I still serve and transportation and environmental access. Right. I just had my first flight with my guide dog um, since the new regulations have been put into place requiring guide dog handlers to fill out forms before flying with their dogs. And I will say that as 
inaccessible and time consuming and out and out as demoralizing as it felt to have to, to do this after so many years of, of flying with a guide dog and not having to, to jump through these hoops. Um, once I got to the airport with my dog, I have to say it was ex exactly like before. I was uh, nervous and strange being close to people and with all of the pandemic concerns and having spent a year and a half keeping my distance. And then all of a sudden being on a plane, sitting shoulder to shoulder with somebody, you know, that, that was distressing and uncomfortable. But I have to say that there was nothing different about flying with my guide dog. He was a perfect angel, followed people through the airport. Everybody was um, very, very um, accepting of the guide dog, very helpful. Um, nobody asked me for any papers. Nobody said, hey, what about those travel forms you had to fill out? It, it was in all, for all intents and purposes, exactly like it used to be, except for all of the um, unfortunate hoops we are currently being um, compelled to jump through. Yeah, I had and, a text from another friend yesterday saying, yeah, I just flew Southwest and nobody said a word about a form. And I had another friend flew who flew last week and the same thing, nobody asked, nobody said anything. So I don't know what, you know, I don't know what to think at this point. Has it been a pretty mixed bag on the the reports that GDUI is receiving from from members or others in the community on whether the forms required or how accessible the form is to complete? Most of the most of what I've been seeing and passing along is is people having trouble ex with accessibility or being given information or misinformation by airline employees. But I have not yet talk to anybody who actually was at the airport and required to, to show the form or do anything with the form. I actually was on a call with somebody last week who's a guide dog user who went to the airport <clears throat> having not filled out a form and they didn't have one or make him, they let him fly without a form. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I just thought, wow, I wish I wish I had the nerve to pull something like that to just yeah. to, to have an experiment and fly around the world and just see how often I could get away with get away with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. My jaw was just hanging open because I thought I I have been so terrified by this whole process personally. You know, I'm I'm the kind of kid who, oh my God, I can't go to school without my homework. Um, right. And to hear that he actually had the noise to show up at the airport and not, you know, and not fill out a form and they let him fly. And then he had somebody else fill it out for him at another, on another segment of his flight. So I, I thought that was sort of uh, fascinating, interesting, amusing. I would well, never risk it personally. Yeah. And of course this is the the service animal form that was part of the Department of Transportation's final rule on flying by air with a service animal that went into effect in January of 2021. Um, folks can listen to the podcast from the GDUI advocacy community event, as well as review the panel that Sheila hosted with Geez, was it four different airlines from across yes, the, the U.S.? Four. Yeah, talking about 
implementing this, this new rule. And if, if folks are encountering accessibility barriers related to the airline service animal forms, please let us know by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The problem I think is that in addition to the form having some accessibility issues, nobody at the airlines at any of the airlines seems to know exactly what they're supposed to do with it or how it's supposed to get submitted or any of those things. It's really pretty interesting. Well, there, there's no way to submit it online. So it seems that many of us, then we get people sending us links to, um, we have to fill out then special service request forms, at which point in some of the airlines, there appears to be a way to either um, upload a form that you have gotten uh, through another link that you have had to beg for because you couldn't fill it out online. And then you can either attach that form to this special service request. This is how it was at American when I just flew and, and somebody else I just spoke to another airlines had the same experience. Um, and, or it would send you to a link to fill out the form. I had downloaded it and filled it out and was able to, to do it that way. And then nobody really told me um, what they were going to do with it, but they did send me another email saying, this is your special service animal number. And nobody told me um, what I was gonna have to do with that number um, or if I was going to have to produce it. And I was very nervous, so one day, the week before I flew, I called American Airlines and I was here at work and I was on hold and I just turned the volume of the phone down and left it. And I was on hold for an hour and a half through, even through a stretch class that I taught over Zoom here at my job. And it was time to go home and I just finally had to hang up. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to assume that this is in my record and I'll deal with it. And nobody, as I said, even said a word. So I guess when they give you that number, they're giving it to you just so you know you have it, but apparently that is entered into your record. So some other items that ACB is working on in the, the transportation space here in the 117th Congress, uh, folks who are members of ACB and frequent the, the ACB, their conversation or leadership lists, probably saw a conversation about autonomous vehicles about a month ago. And uh, Becky and Sheila, I'll start with Becky, but I was a little bit surprised at how much traffic that the topic of autonomous vehicles received, because this is an area that ACB has been actively working on for you know, seven, eight years, but it, we know that we want more access to transportation and yet a, a new technology like autonomous vehicles, it seems like there's still some questions on how this is going to be implemented, especially on a national framework where accessibility is included from the ground up. Yeah, there was a lot of traffic on that. And I was kind of surprised and a little bit amused by the discussion of would you actually use it or not? Um, and the number of people who said, hey, it might be a great idea, but I would never do that. I would never, you know, I would be afraid to um, to be alone and, and trust that vehicle. And that kind of surprised me. Um, and then of course there was also some discussion about 
driver's licenses and are people going to mm -hmm. have to have a driver's license to operate an autonomous vehicle and what's the advocacy point on that which i think you know we know no a state id or whatever photo id you have you know might be the answer but you don't have to be able to drive that's the point of the autonomous vehicle so there was that discussion yeah it it, it was really surprising how uh, how much energy that that topic created on the list yeah I I think part of that's probably because there's, you know, some not fully autonomous, uh, you know, some middle ground assisted driving technologies uh, available today that get advertised as self-driving or autonomous. And uh, that kind of muddies the water, right? Where, you know, a, a car might crash because someone's in the backseat watching a movie with their hands off the wheels, but they had the car in self-driving mode. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, nobody ever talks about it, but we've had cruise control for how long? Like 20, 30 years of cruise mm -hmm, control. Mm -hmm. You know, that's sort of like. And there the are people, drivers who won't use it. There are sighted drivers who refuse to use cruise control. So, yeah. Well, my hope would be that these fabulous autonomous vehicles could take me safely through those intersections I don't know how to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah, and a, another piece of legislation, actually one of our legislative imperatives this year, the Disability Access to Transportation Act uh, reintroduced in the House and something that we're hoping is included either in the infrastructure package or the surface transportation reauthorization. But along with autonomous vehicles, that would be something that could really enhance uh, transportation services in areas that are underserved, right? Uh, so yes. not only the pilot program allowing folks to make one interim stop on their route, but the additional funding for the Section 5310 grants that serve low income and rural uh, you know, tribal minority communities Again, they, you know, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and also accessible pedestrian signals and pedestrian safety issues that are tacked on to that as well. Exactly, exactly. So we can avoid, not avoid, but successfully navigate these unmarked, unlabeled intersections. And what it really comes down to is kind of the crux of what the Environmental Access Committee is about, and that is assuring that the environment is accessible to everybody and um, that we as blind pedestrians have this access to the same information that sighted people have by sight. Um, we still need that information. It needs to be given to us in an accessible format. That is my favorite thing to say when I'm advocating for accessible pedestrian signals. I'm serving on a little complete streets task force for a town near where I live, Westwood, Kansas. And I, you know, they, they have a few accessible pedestrian signals, but not very many. And I, you know, I've expressed that, you know, we have the same you know, if, if sighted people need this information, then we sure as heck need this information because we can't even see where the cars are. You know, I think we mm -hmm. even have a greater, you know, sometimes I think we say we have, we're entitled to the same information, but in my heart, I, I feel like I need it even more. And we talk about, oh, but there isn't enough money. We can't fund this. Um, I think to myself, hmm, 
let's see if we had any discussions lately about, oh, gee, we don't have much money. I guess we have enough money to fund the eastbound lanes, but you people who need to go west, we're just going to have to keep that a dirt road because we don't have enough money to fund everything. <laughs> I mean, I think that we really need to raise the public awareness to a point where they can understand how important all of these issues are to us. And, and if we could get that Transportation Act um, sponsored and moving this year, that, that would be really a great help. Yeah. Well, in addition to attending the ACB convention, of course, registering at acbconvention.org and attending the transportation track uh, Becky, what else can people do to get involved on uh, transportation environmental access related advocacy issues or to learn more about the work of your committee? Well, in order for people to get involved, I think you need to realize that the issues that we talk about, the accessible pedestrian signals and, and uh, sidewalks and all of those kinds of things are very much done at the local level. So it, it takes a lot of grassroots work and, and for people to get involved in their own communities is, is where you start. And as far as the, our committee is concerned, one of the things that we hope to do is, is through these programs and, and all of that is to, to give people tools to work with to start that process uh, in their own communities and to be educated about what what is and isn't on the books as far as what's required or you know what should be required so um, that's kind of our focus uh, is getting people um, getting people to understand and work at these things and and offering whatever support we can um, through our affiliates and through our own our national committee the other thing that that the environmental access committee has been working on and wanting to get done for a good three maybe two or three years now is to create some kind of a video that actually reaches out to drivers um, and about what pedestrians need and the importance of you know why we need accessible pedestrian signals but why you know why these laws are important um, so it's just a short sort of almost a PSA type thing, video, a YouTube video, perhaps geared at geared to drivers about um, things like distracted driving and how it impacts pedestrians in general, but uh, blind pedestrians in particular. And Sheila, how about the, the work of the Transportation Committee? Uh, where can folks go to learn more about the work that you all are doing and any recommendations on how folks can get involved in transportation related advocacy? Well, my answer would be very much in line with what Becky just said. Um, most transportation, there, there, there are, is some money that, that comes down federally for transportation, but a lot of decisions are made locally and people need to get out and learn what the transportation is and use the transportation and see where they don't have sidewalks. So I am a huge proponent of people 
getting involved in their communities and maybe partnering with other individuals to, to figure out what the needs are beyond um, the transportation that, that maybe they only use. I think that we do have a disconnect between people not, um, not being as involved in their communities beyond riding, let's say, uh, rideshare and paratransit. Um, it's it's hard to advocate for things that that you don't understand, and not only can people um, experience what is going on in their communities, learning what's out there, getting out, maybe going for more walks, um, learning to ride a bus, maybe get together with a group of friends and ride the bus as as kind of a, a, a group in solidarity, like a bus riding party, maybe plan a trip, uh, go to a restaurant, take the bus. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to get, uh, you, you need to experience it and figure out how to um, find a way to build the passion for, for making these changes. Um, the people who fight for accessible pedestrian signals here in Kansas City are the people who stand at the corner and want want to use them, and um, it's it's sort of a difficult situation to decide. You know what comes first, the chicken or the egg? You know, can we expect them to um, build a lot of install a lot of accessible pedestrian signals if we're not using them, and how can they expect us to travel when it's not safe? So. Uh, really encouraging people to get involved in their communities, learn how the systems work, figure out who holds the purse strings, who they need to advocate to. If, you know, just start with your corner, your sidewalk, figure out who funds it and public transportation. Uh, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's so down in so many places right now. But if we don't ride what's there, uh, they they do these these studies called feasibility studies, and part of the way we get funding is how the numbers turn out when they do these feasibility studies. Because if they don't think there's capacity, if they don't think people are riding or going to ride, then we're not going to get the funding for for more buses or more rail lines. So we have a lot of hard work to do out there. And I would just finish by saying, if you know. Maybe you think that being on an ACB committee is, is beyond your scope. Well, get on a local committee, start there. But if you think you wanna be on, on the environmental access committee or the transportation committee, um, not only can you do great things, but you can learn great things. And, mm -hmm. and that will enable you to be able to do the work that we all need to have done to make things better for all of us. And you can always learn more about the, the Transportation Committee as well as the Environmental Access Committee by visiting acb.org slash committees. And there's a contact information for our committee chairs, Sheila and Becky. Um, Swatha, any other questions for our guests here about the convention or our transportation-related advocacy efforts? Um. No, that's it. But yeah, you have we have one session that we didn't talk about that 
Oh my goodness. I was actually going to say that same thing, um, Becky. Did you want to talk? The last session, which is on Tuesday evening at 5.30, is uh, Jean Borkwin, who is also a longtime O&M mm. instructor, who's also worked with the Helen Keller Center, um, the Reverend Jean Borkwin. And he's going to talk about techniques to um, get drivers to yield. And it's a really interesting presentation. And Gene is actually calling in from Thailand because he's doing research over there this summer. So he'll be calling, zooming in from Thailand on Tuesday, the 20th of July to talk about drivers yielding. And I know that's a that's a game that I play every, almost every morning, whether it's on the dog walks <laughs> or heading out of the house. It's even at a, a marked intersection or a crosswalk is, are they gonna stop today? Let's, yeah. let's find yeah. out. Do you stick out your cane, Clark? What do you? Oh, very far. That's I have an extra long cane just because I'm uh -huh. waiting for cars to run over the tip and have it get shorter week by week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I we can't make eye contact, or most of us can't, right. and that right. that is a big deal. So Becky's right. This is a do not want to miss presentation. Depending on fat. <laughs> Well, great. Well, Sheila and Becky, thank you so much for joining us here today. I, I want to end on a high note. So I, I'm glad, Becky, that you you added in uh, Reverend uh, Jean Borgman's presentation. And of course, that I can't uh, think of the ongoing accessible pedestrian signal work in New York without thinking of Jean and the, the PASS Coalition and ACB of New York and the, the Greater New York chapter and all all their advocacy efforts as well as the Chicago. metro chicago chapter and their advocacy efforts on accessible pedestrian signals as well yeah it takes time it's a process but they're having some success with with the courts and the legal system which is really mm -hmm. exciting to see the the courts agree and so does the department of justice so yep. it's it's an exciting time. It looks like we're making some some real changes here with the advocacy efforts on transportation and environmental access. And thank you for coming to speak and share that with folks here today, as well as highlight the programming at the convention later in July. Yeah, thanks guys. Thank you, thank you both. Happy to be here with all. All right, folks. And if you would like to check out the transportation track or the other programming at the ACB conference and convention, again, you can visit acbconvention.org. Be sure to register. Uh, that way you can be an active participant in these sessions. Otherwise, you can always listen to the conference and convention on ACB radio. Uh, next week, we'll be back with another live podcast on the diversity, equity, and inclusion track of programming with some other uh, ACB committee chairs and affiliate presidents. But until then, Swatha, what do we always say? Keep advocating. <laughs>